Hi, everyone, and welcome to the In the Shoes of podcast, where I make it my goal to see life as much as possible from someone else's point of view. Just like we all have a unique heartbeat, every single one of us sees life only from our own perspectives. Think about it. Can you see and process life exactly as Elon Musk sees and processes life? The answer is you can't, and it applies to every living conscious being here on this pale blue dot. The definition of serendipity is the occurrence and development of events by chance in a happy or beneficial way. And it was definitely serendipitous that I ran into Michael Harris II on a fine day in Washington, D.C. at a little cool cafe called Bus Boys and Poets. And I was really happy to find out that he was the nephew of Dr. Joanne Lucas, and Dr. Joanne Lucas, I was happy to find out, is the daughter of Curtis W. Harris Sr. Curtis W. Harris Sr. was one of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s right-hand men. And he did a lot of really cool things. And, you know, I'm going to let Dr. Lucas explain and talk about her family. It's really, really fascinating, really, really cool and she is absolutely a delight. Enjoy. Just for the listeners, this is Miss Joanne Lucas, and I, I'm going to tell a little bit of the story of background, how we got introduced. Well, I stand corrected, uh, Dr. Lucas, but uh, we met by way of, uh, it was your nephew, right? Michael II. That is right. Michael Harris. Yes. Michael Harris. Yes. And uh, I met him at Beats and Poets. It was actually Busboys and Poets. It's this coffee shop over in D.C. And we got to talking. He was telling me about his grandfather, which is your your father, who uh, is Michael. Uh, no, Curtis W. Harris, senior. Right. Right. And he, Curtis, marched with Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., um, was kind of a, seemed to be his right hand man, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yeah, Daddy was one of many. Daddy was early in the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, and mm-hmm. um, he uh, had Dr. King to come to Hopewell, which is my hometown, a couple times, and Petersburg, which is right outside of Hopewell. So um, Dr. King even came to our restaurant one time when I was a little girl. Did you know, like, well, this is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And, uh, or was it just like, hey, another cool guy, that another person that we can just, you know. Actually, when Dr. King came to the restaurant, we were all, my brothers and I were all in school. So we didn't see him. I met Dr. King when I was 12, though. Dr. King came to Virginia, to Suffolk, Virginia, for this mass rally. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got to sit up on the platform. So I sat right behind Dr. King. And somebody asked me to pass him a note. And this was my opportunity to say something. I couldn't think of anything to say. <laughs> You're like, hey, here's the note. And that's about it. <laughs> I was kind of starstruck. So. Yep. Well, understandably so. I mean, he's, to me, just one of the most influential leaders in the 20th century, without a doubt. So, no doubt. No doubt. 
Yep, for sure. I want to launch right into it then. I want to get your worldview and get your, just how you see life. But I think a large part of that is uh, you've been influenced by your parents. And I know one thing that you really wanted to bring to the table was how strong and great your mother was. So I think it'd even be good, even though it is it is Father's Day, and we definitely need to talk about your father too. But I know you wanted to talk about your mother, so why don't we start there and tell me how you were influenced, how your worldview and how uh, just everything about how your mother influenced you in life. Um, my mother, Ruth Jones Harris, and she was a doctor as well. Mm-hmm. And um, mama was everything. And mama was everything to all of us. And I think that was probably, as an adult looking back, what was most amazing about her, her ability to balance. I mean, she created multitasking. Right. And to raise six children and to be the first lady in a church, daddy pastored for 50 years. And to have several different businesses in my lifetime. In my lifetime, mama had a beauty salon first, then she had a restaurant, then she had a daycare center. So she was an entrepreneur. Um, She was in, she was a joiner. So she, you know, she was in the Eastern Star. Um, She was in the National, International Minister's Wives. She was in lots of different organizations. So she had lots of things to do. And then she had a really big family. She had uh, four sisters and a brother. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was able to 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 know my grandparents as well as my great grandmother as well, mm-hmm. and um, and to watch her maneuver her way through not just her life but all of our lives. And I said to you uh, the other day when we were talking that she was absolutely the smartest woman that I ever met. I think the smartest person I ever met. And I'm not talking about on the basis of being so educated or anything like that, because mama's uh, um, doctor status is one. She received an honorary doctorate mm-hmm. from Litchburg College here in Virginia. And um, and mama went to, to college for a year and then dropped out to, to marry my father. But um, she was just worldly. She, she just to be from a small town in Virginia and to not really move far beyond that. Mama never moved from Hopewell. She was born in Dendron, Virginia, which is right outside of Hopewell. Moved to Hopewell when she was around four and stayed there, remained there for the rest of her life. My dad had opportunities to move, but he chose to stay in Hopewell. Therefore, she stayed in Hopewell as well. But, um, I think what's most meaningful, my mom was one who truly believed in the power of prayer. Mm -hmm. The Lord was her savior and that was what she taught us. That was the way she lived her life. So that's the way I lived my life. She was my pattern, she was my example and she was rock steady. In my life, I think I saw my mom shed a tear once. Oh wow. One time and mama lived to be 86. And uh, she, I mean, I'm sure she cried. She just didn't cry in front of me. Yeah. And I asked my sister the other day, who was much younger than I, I said, did you ever see mama cry? 
And she said, I can't remember it, you know, if I did. <laughs> right. Whereas daddy was a big crybaby. He cried all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. He did. He really did. He was very emotional. Yep. Yeah. So, and that's, that's all right, you know. So, I mean, everything was about the Lord and what the Lord could do. And sometimes, like when you're 16 and 17 years old and you're having some troubles with a boy or something at school or something in the community is bothering you and your mother says, well, you know, you know, that might be what, not what the Lord wants for you. You know, that's not really what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. But um, that was always her resolve. I don't care what was going on in any of the six of our lives talking about my siblings. It was always back to, you got to pray. It's the Lord, you know? And I mean, she didn't make speeches. My dad made speeches. Mom didn't make speeches. And she would just say, you just need to pray. And, or she would say, let's pray. And, uh, and then she told me one time, she said, you know, it's getting a little difficult now that the family is getting so much larger. I said, why? She said, because you know, when I say my prayers, I call out all of your names. I said, everybody? She said, everybody. And it's 65 of us. <laughs> wow. So yeah, that's so, that's going to take some time right there. Yeah, every day. So I said, yeah, yeah, you, you, you need some time to say your prayers. Yep, so, definitely. Yeah, definitely. She, she calls out everybody's name. Yep. Wow. And did you find growing up, I mean, it sounds like you were heavily influenced then in faith and your mom was rock, sto- rock solid in that faith. Did you ever find yourself uh, struggling at any point in your life with um, any like questions or doubts or anything like that? Oh, absolutely. I came home with lots of different things. I came, especially once I reached my college years, mm-hmm. I came home once and told her, I think I'm, I'm Rastafarian now. Uh-huh. And then uh, I came, I came home another time and I was Muslim. Uh-huh. And that was when I told her that I probably wouldn't be able to eat anything because she had cooked some swine in those pots. Uh-huh. And, uh, and well, she said, well, you probably going to starve to death this weekend. I said, probably, you know, and then I, I came home one time and I was a uh, Buddhist. So, yes, I, I have traveled the road of uh, religious beliefs. And those were never really my beliefs. Mm-hmm. I, I have to say, in defense of my mother, that it was not anything to do. It, it always had to do with a boy and she knew it. Oh, and really? Some okay. guy that I liked that was of a different faith. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to be with him, even though she didn't talk to me about that. Um, I knew she knew because she knew me and, and it would last for about a month. And then I was Baptist again. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so. Yeah. The boy is gone, and I'm back to being Baptist. Yeah, back to being Baptist. <laughs> right. So, what did she, and was she heavily involved in in your um, life with, you know, with boys? And then once you eventually, um, like, what did you did you marry then? No, of course no. not. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, Mama was involved in everything, mm-hmm. and but. You know, it that's that was the other unique thing about her is that she was not intrusive. Yeah. She yeah. was not nosy. She uh 
didn't try to get in your business, if you shared something with her, um, because there are things that happened in the household that I didn't find out about until since she passed away, you know, us just sitting around talking and I, and one sibling would say, well, did you know so-and-so and so? No, I didn't know that. When did that happen? You know, so she, she knew how to keep secrets. Um, and she was my best friend. So yes, I shared things about my ups and downs with, with, with boys and the, um, I've married twice and my first husband, my mama didn't really approve of. She never said that she didn't like him. Mm -hmm. She just, when I told her that we were going to marry and I showed her the ring, she went to the bathroom and she stayed like 30 minutes. Uh, and I'm like, what yep. is going on? Um, and she, she wouldn't help me. Hmm. You know, I had to do everything myself. She, I mean, she came. But she was not, she was just not, in, she didn't involve herself mm -hmm. in the makings of my first marriage. And she was absolutely right. It lasted like a year and three months and it was over. Yep. And yep. she never said, um, I told you so. I remember calling her asking, well, mama, if you stand before God, and say that you're going to be with this person for the rest of your life, no matter what. And I'm not happy. Am I supposed to stay? And she said, absolutely not. She said, you're not happy. I said, I am not happy. Mm -hmm. She said, well, don't worry. Your daddy will be there to pick you, <laughs> pick you up. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And I didn't, she, she was trying to encourage me to come back to, to Hopewell. I was living in Virginia beach and teaching school by then. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I had a, a daughter who was two and, um, I, uh, I didn't want to come back. I had just, you know, I'd only been teaching like maybe, maybe seven years. And so I'm kind of just starting my career and, Virginia Beach had a really good school system and I kind of wanted to stay there. So um, she sent my dad down to move me though. So he pulled up, he and my sister-in-law with the U-Haul and packed all my stuff up and carried me on, so. And then after that, did it take you a while to kind of get back into the swing of things and to, um, you know, even considering, you know, another relationship? Um, yeah, it was some years. Mm -hmm. I mean, I dated off and on, but mostly I was parenting. Like I said, my daughter was young. Oh yeah. I'm, kind of, I'm new in this school division and I came from Hopewell with one high school and moved to a city that had 11 high schools. Mm -hmm. So it was a huge culture shock. Um, curriculum was different. Kids were different. Um, and uh so yeah the my daughter and my my um my teaching was the focus of my life for the next few years and uh, i i guess i probably had been teaching in virginia beach about about eight years when mama said to me well um don't you think it's time for you to move up i said what do you mean move up <laughs> 
be the principal. <laughs> I said, <Yeah>. oh. <laughs> I said, oh. I oh, okay. So that was when I went back and got my master's. Mm-hmm. Never wanted to be a principal. And it took me a while to explain that to her. Yeah. Because my mother did believe in upward mobility. And she believed that you should always be making the effort to improve yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's not something that she just said to me. That's something she encouraged all of us to be good at what we did and to escalate in whatever it was that we were doing. And yeah. I have another brother who was a teacher. So we had two teachers, a couple in the military, one in um, accounting, one in, in, in um, human resources. And all of us have been successful in our own right. Mm-hmm. And it's because of her encouragement to move forward, you know? So, and going back to school was, was helpful to me. I, I had to help her to understand that mama, what I am is a teacher mm-hmm. and I want to be a master teacher. Yep. So um, things that I, uh, I went on and got a degree to, to, to be an administrator. I got all of the certifications and all that kind of stuff. and. I interviewed for a couple of uh, assistant principalship jobs. Not really interested. Didn't interview well because wasn't really interested. Yeah. And um, and that was when I explained. I said I, I I just where my gift is is in the classroom. I'm 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 really good at that and I really enjoy that. And that's truly what I want to be. Yeah. I want to be this master teacher. Yeah. So she was okay with that. Yeah, and you definitely have to follow your your passion there, right? That it just makes sense. Like you said, with the interview, it didn't you know, even with the assistant principal, it didn't go maybe so well because you weren't that interested. That that makes perfect sense to me, definitely. So during that time or even I guess throughout the years, what would you say was the most difficult thing that you had to deal with? growing, uh, just either growing up or even in your adult years? Um, I often say that I have had a very charmed life. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I had regular things that teenagers, young women, um, but nothing that was just horrible or anything like that for me to deal with. Probably things that happened to me later in my adult life, like uh, my husband's illness and death was was a huge, huge thing for me. Um, Because he was was 51 and um, we'd only been married two years. Oh, wow. And so this was my second husband. And we had known each other for like 20 years. We dated off and on during that time. And then we finally decided to marry. And probably about eight months after we married, he found out that he had cancer. And um, and it wasn't then because we were so very hopeful about the cancer and 
the doctor seemed very, very uh, optimistic about what was going to happen for him. And so he did radiation and he, you know, things seemed to be going okay. And two months later, cancer has spread it throughout his body. So, um, and even then, because he had so much faith, you know, he really thought he was going to get well and that this was going to be okay. And so my prayer was that he would get better, that, you know, he would be healed. And, um, and he was in pretty good spirits. I can, and I can remember when things started to change and his health really started to fail. And then we had to start going to the oncologist and the chemo and all of that and the hair coming out and not being able to eat because the chemo caused uh, him to develop all these ulcers inside of his mouth. And um, so to watch him still very positive, um, dying. He was dying. He just died right in front of me. And um, I really was not devastated until he was gone. As long as he was alive, and I can remember changing my prayer to, um, I know I've been praying for him to, you know, please heal him, Lord. But now my prayer is, you know, that will be done. You know, whatever your will is, you know, you know, you you got the plan. You know, I'm not the one with the plan. You're the one with the plan. And um, so probably that. Um, I had uh, an estrangement with my daughter for several years before I uh, married again. And we hadn't seen each other for about three years. And she was in her early 20s at the time. And when um, I got engaged for the second time and I was planning the wedding, my mama asked me, well, are you going to invite Crystal to the wedding? I said, I hadn't really thought about it, you know, I, I, and I hadn't because, you know, we just didn't communicate. Yeah. She called me up one day and said, Mama, I'm getting married and I'm going to bring the guy to come and meet you. And she never came and I never heard from her, from her for three years. So I never really knew what was going on. I called her father and he said he hadn't really heard from her either. Hmm. And, um. So I have some some guilt about how I didn't really go to seek her out to see because I, I was, you know, what I was saying to myself was, oh, she must be all right. You know, yeah. I haven't heard from her. And I don't think she was all right. She was struggling, too. But um, that was a, a wonderful celebration for me because she, I did invite her and she did come to the wedding and I hadn't seen my daughter for three years. And she walked up to me and hugged me and acted as if the last time I saw her was yesterday. Yeah. And so, um, and our relationship has been wonderful ever since. And we, we have discussed that, but that was a downtime in my life. And I, uh, I felt very much like a, a, a failure as a parent that, that this was all my fault. She was the kid. I was the adult and I should have handled 
whatever was going on very differently. But um, I handle it as I handle it. And yeah. Um, yeah. again, the Lord saw me through. So that was a downtime. And, and other than that, the only time that I, I really felt that uh, things were not on the up and up passing of my parents. Mama died in 2011 and daddy died last year. Yeah. So, um, but other than that, life has been wonderful. Yeah. Well, I mean, dealing with death and especially when it's a close family member, that's never an easy thing uh, to get through. Definitely. Did And did that affect your faith at all? Um, I know for some people it does. So for some people, I think it strengthens their faith. Did it even with like the estrangement for a time with the daughter and then with uh, the passing of your husband and then subsequently in recent years, your, your parents, did it, did it take a toll at all on your, on your faith and how you saw the world and even just humanity in general? Didn't um, impact my faith, mm -hmm. strengthened my faith um, to, to have the kind of faith that you trust that even when things are not the best, they're not a hundred percent, but to be able to say, it'll be all right. I'm going to be all right. I mean, if you keep on living things pass and I don't care how destructive it may be or how sad it may be, how catastrophic it may be, I don't care. It's going to pass. Yep. It's going to become something that happened. Not something that's <laughs> happening, but something that happened. Yep. And um again, mama mama set a great example for, for dealing with life, you know, the ups and downs of life. And like I said, mama was a strong woman. And she, when you have six children and all this stuff is going on, I can, can remember one of my sisters was in this really bad car accident and all of it was on a Sunday. And my dad had a church in Southampton County, Virginia, which was probably about 45 minutes from our hometown that we would drive from our hometown to Southampton County to, to, to his church. And so everybody came home. It was some special service so everybody was home and so we had a caravan of cars leaving hopewell and going to southampton county to go to church and my sister has this car accident so my parents were in the front because daddy needed to get you know to the church and get himself set up and that kind of thing mm -hmm. so um when we all got to the emergency room, because I mean, it was a bad thing. Karen um, broke her back in this car car accident, and uh, a lot of abrasions on her face and legs and that kind of thing, because it threw her out of the car. Uh, no. And um, when my uh, mother came into the emergency room. She was like rock solid, you know? Yep. She came in, it was strictly business and um, wanted to speak to the doctor and find out, you know, what's up, you know, what's what's happening with her, what's the prognosis, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, she was just handling business, whereas my father came in and fainted almost when he saw her face and sure. had to carry him yeah. out on a stretcher. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then they were in bed side by side. Uh, uh, kind of sort of. Yeah. Kind of sort of. Yeah, we had to take him home. <laughs> so, That's great. So he, you know, so his sister had to come over to see about him. Yep. Since Mama stayed at the hospital, and but yeah, she she was a, a wonderful example, and uh, I tried to do that. I'm not nearly as strong. I'm a um, I'm a closet crier. Oh, gotcha. I do cry, but I, I really don't like to share that. Yeah. And um, I don't know whether Mama was a closet crier or not, but I I do remember the strength. Yep. So yeah. I wonder. I wonder if maybe she was, huh? Yeah, that's a good good question. Because I, I I mean, some of us are like that. I'm more of a you know. I do it behind the scenes too. If I have to cry, yeah. it's usually not in front of people, you know, for some reason. Right. Yeah. And um, it's, I think it's embarrassing too to cry in front of people because just you're not at your cutest. Yeah. I mean, and but on the on the other hand, I think it's good to be able to do it, you know, from time to time. If, and I if can. Necessary. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, I can me too. I can release yep. my frustrations very easily by myself. Uh even when my husband died, uh my oldest brother. You know, people do things that you don't expect. Yeah. And my oldest brother just showed up a week before the funeral and stayed with me for a week. Good. That that was and, nice. I, I and I mean, it was. I mean, he didn't. We didn't have great conversations. I spent most of my time in my room. That was when I did most of my weeping. Yep. Was gotcha. right after my husband died, and so we we didn't do a lot of talking. And he said, I just want to be here with you. You yep. know, if you need me, I'm here. Yep. So, and I, I, I deeply appreciated that. I, I really did. I really did. Because Mama came, of course, and, and planning the funeral. And I can remember her going to the funeral home with me and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, yep. yeah, I got a good family. I have a good family. I have a very supportive family. So that that's the other thing that, my parents' teachings about us being together, yes, we had arguments, we had fights. Mm -hmm. um, more fussing. There was not a whole lot of <laughs> just fighting kind right. of thing. Um, but uh, Yeah. So it sounds you like know, you had a really good, supportive family, and that makes a huge difference in a lot of different ways, right? It, it makes absolutely. You know, it makes me wonder, too, because I've heard, I mean, like recently, you know, you'll hear of celebrities, Anthony Bourdain being the most recent one. And I, I wonder, is does that have, does that play a part? Like having a strong, uh, supportive family, does that help in those instances where people, because there, there are some people who are like really just very unhappy. They may have all the money in the world, even and notoriety, fame, all that good stuff. But if you don't have that, that supportive community, whether it's family or friends, I wonder if that plays a part in uh, things like depression and, and all that. I don't know what you think if there's if there's something there. I think that a supportive family is really um, 
important, but I don't think it's the most important thing. I think the most important thing is is self-esteem and learning how to love yourself. That's a big one. Care about yourself, nurturing yourself, and the support allows you to do that. I think that's what may happen with individuals who are famous in that they don't have the kind of support that they need to grow themselves. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that they don't grow in a talent or an ability, but um, to, to grow as an individual, to be pleased with who I am. My life is very different with the passing of my husband. Of course. Um, I've lived alone since then. I've lived alone for the last 14 years. Mm-hmm. And um, to be able to, you know, some people move out of their houses because of the memories. The memories are great, you know. Yeah, we had our ups and downs as a married couple, but still, the memories are are great. I I don't walk through my house and say, ooh, I can't go in this room. I, you know, I have a sister that, um, we still have my dad's house, yeah. my the house we grew up in. And, um, uh, I have a sister who does not like to go there. Yep. And, um, so, um, oneness is important, but I can't have my oneness. I don't think that I would grow, have grown up to be as comfortable with who I am as a person mm-hmm. if I didn't have the family that I had, the parents that I had, the siblings that I had, my extended family. Sure. You know, my mom was very close to her sisters and her brother. She was very close to her parents. My father was very close to his mother, yeah. very close to his siblings. And so we grew up around these people that cared. I mean, no, we didn't see my dad's folks lived in Norfolk, Virginia. And so I didn't grow up seeing them every day as I did. My my mom's parents lived in Hopewell. But um, it's uh, something that we as a family want to, to pass on to our children. Now they are, uh, all of the uh, grandchildren are adults now. Yep. And we, you know, we call ourselves the Harris Connection. Nice. I like that. The Harris Connection. Yeah. That's got a ring to it, actually. Yeah, the Harris Connection. I was just going to ask you, um, and going over to how you were influenced maybe by by your father more, if your father were here today and he looked around at what's going on in the United States, how do you think he would react and what do you think he would say we need to do as a nation? Well... My dad used to come to my school every year to speak, no matter where I was teaching, whether it was in Hopewell or Virginia Beach, every year until he was physically unable to can't come. He would come and speak to my classes and talk about the civil rights movement and things like that. And um, one year he came and he had a theme and his theme was everything has changed. Nothing has changed. And um, he talked about 
the struggles of being black in America and um, being considered not really citizens and being um, treated miserably because of the color of our skin and, and that kind of thing. And, mm -hmm. and he would have the kids on the edge of their seats talking about things in the days of segregation and to talk about the, the fight Mm -hmm. He and Dr. King and, and other men and women trying to uh, get the 1964 Civil Rights Act passed, getting the 1965 Voting Rights Act passed. Mm -hmm. And um, I think Daddy would, would say that things really haven't changed. As much work as we have done, as much blood as we have shed, um, there is still lots of things that have not changed. And I don't know that I think discrimination and prejudice will ever disappear. I, I don't think that they will. I think how we handle those, 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 those social constructs will, will perhaps change. But I, I, uh, I, I think that's what, what daddy said, would, would say is that, you know, you, you got to stay on the battleground. Yeah, because the war is not over. Far from over. It, yeah, it seems like, especially in this day and age, it's so evident that despite the struggles that people have gone through throughout the ages to fight for like equality and uh, just you know getting rid of at least trying to decimate discrimination, we're very much just not there not not even close to being where we need to be and i i was naive enough i think probably even a few years back uh probably when you know quite honestly when uh barack obama was president i was like okay we're, we're getting somewhere i feel like we're okay a lot of this the more heinous things they're behind us a lot of the you know more just overt racism i thought it was but then not necessarily. Now it's a lot of things are resurfacing or as another person I interviewed put it, they're just like, oh, it's always been there. Yeah. just Well, just like they changed our name. I, and that's amazing to me how we have gone from being colored to Negroes to Negroes to Black to African-American. And I'm wondering in the next 20 or 30 years, what is our name going to be? So right. um, I, I I don't know whether it's some sort of evolution, but I do think that the 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 huge difference for me is when I was a kid and my dad was always talking about us fighting for equality. Yeah, I really think it's important for us to fight for equity. As an educator, equity is very important to me, and what it taught me is that as a teacher, I needed all of my students to learn. And, but I had to figure out a way that Joe over here can learn versus Simon over here learning. And they were very different people on very different levels. So I had to be equitable. I couldn't, I couldn't necessarily do an equality thing and give them both the same thing. Mm -hmm. Sure. Because they need the same thing, you know? Right. I get that. Yep. This, this guy over here needed something a little different from this guy over here. 
Yep. And so we, we really do need to fight for equity in this country and understand that there is a cartoon that I don't know who the artist is, but it's uh, about equity and it's these children standing up at a fence. And all of them, it's a baseball game on the other side of the fence. So all of them are trying to see the baseball game, mm-hmm. but they're different heights and different ages. Right. So you see one kid only needs to stand on one block, whereas you got South kid over here, they need four blocks to be able to see over the fence. So you got to give kids what they need. Not what's equal, but what they need. We have to meet needs. So what do you think the, with regard to implementing, uh, making things uh, equitable in the country, what are the steps that we need to take to make that happen? If I'm going to compare it to being in the classroom, um, one of the things, even though we have lived in this country, for generations together. It amazes me how little we know about each other's cultures. And um, so learning about people who are different from you, I'm not saying that you're going to accept everything they do or the way that they do it, but to know about it, to be aware. Um, It amazes me when some of my white counterparts still talk about black hair and, oh, your hair is so much longer this week than it was last week. What? What is it that you don't understand about that? Everybody in this country knows what weave is. <laughs> right. I mean, right. I, I don't care what your race is and, it, and you know, doesn't have anything to do with, with that. But, um, they're still amazed that, you know, over the weekend we got a weave. So we come back to school on Monday with hair hanging down to our waist. Mm -hmm. And when we left Friday, we had this little short Afro. So um, that, that, that's amazing to me. And and the conversations, how they talk about it. Yeah. Like uh, as if there was some sort of, is it like when you get that, is it some sort of like disbelief, almost like, how did your hair do that? Or I, I guess yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's exactly what it's like. And really, okay. Um, I can remember when I was in fifth grade, and this was back in the 60s, schools integrated. And um, of course, my daddy said all his children had to go to the predominantly white school. So he moved all of us. My brother, my oldest brother was a senior in high school. Then I had a brother who was a junior in high school. And he made them leave their schools and go to the predominantly white high school. But I was in fifth grade. And in my family, all of the girls got their ears pierced when they were babies. Sure. Yep. And so... I still wear a hoop. I got on a pair of hoop earrings right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I still wear what my mama, you know, her mama, my aunts, my cousins, all of us wore these little gold hoop earrings. And so I never thought anything about it until I went to the predominantly white school. And it was all of these questions about, you got your ears pierced? 
And I'm like, everybody in my, every woman in my family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Her ears pierced and I, you know, and they were like, oh, you got your ears pierced when you were a baby? I said, yeah, my granny, my granny pierced it. When I told them how um, my granny's would put the, would use the needle in the thread and then take the straw out of the broom and burn the ends of the straw and stick that through your ear, you know, as it's getting well and yep. all that kind of stuff. So that was something I had seen all my life. Yep. And so when you don't know these things and, and as a classroom teacher filled with kids who come from all and, and living in Virginia beach, which is a, a Navy town. Yeah. You have all of these people who come from all of these different places. So you got all these cultures in your classroom. And so it was a fun kind of thing to, to find out cultural backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds and, to have a, a culture day where they bought food dishes and dressed up in in in, in cultural dress and that kind of thing for uh, their backgrounds and, and it's also interesting people who don't know what their ethnic background is so you get that too. Yep. Yeah. And uh, that that's something that I had to make sure that kids weren't offended. Because some parents, when you say in instructions, I want you to bring in an ethnic dish that's, you know, indicative of your ethnic background. Mm -hmm. And the kid comes back with some hot dogs. <laughs> right. And when you ask, well, what ethnic background is that? And they tell you, I'm American. <laughs> you know, and then I have to go through my little thing about what's the difference between your nationality and your yep. ethnicity and, yep. you know, your race and all of that. So, so it's a, it's a teachable moment. Yes. But so first and foremost is knowing people and understanding that people are different and the way that you get to know somebody, we aren't very good listeners in America. Right. It, Do you, yep. you know that? Oh, yeah. Yep. And uh, there is a, a, a quote about listening that um, I like. Have you ever heard of Stephen Cuffey? No. Who is an educator? Stephen oh, Stephen said, oh, yeah, I do. I have. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, you listen with the intent to understand rather than the intent to respond. Right. Because when we listen, we listen not to understand what you're saying. We listen because we want to say something back. So I want to understand what you're saying. Exactly. I want, I want to feel you. So that's how you, that's how I'm going to learn who you are is by listening and understanding what it is that you're trying to say. And then once you understand, it's all about acceptance, you know, to accept you for who you are With and what your beliefs are, not to, to say, because you believe in Allah and I believe in God, you know, the almighty, or cause you got a different name for your God, you know, doesn't, my God didn't have any more power. I'm receiving that. I'm receiving who you are as an individual as I learn. 
And that opens the door. Because see, once people begin to trust you, Jeremy, Mm -hmm. then we can get along a little bit better. We can have some conversations. Yep. And in the latter years, once I came out of the classroom, I did a whole lot of diversity work in my school division. And I had the opportunity to listen and to have conversations with teachers and administrators about their own feelings about race. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a conversation that's a difficult one. And it's difficult because people feel guilty and they are fearful that they're going to be blamed for something. And nobody is, you know, I don't have anybody to blame. It, it is what it is. And uh, so let's, let, let's have that conversation. So yep. I'm saying all that to say that, you know, if you learn folks, you listen to folks, you get to know folks, you let that door open where there is some trust. And then and we, we're not there yet. Right. We are not and, there. Yeah. 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 We're not there. And, um, and I think the reason that we're not there is because we only want to do things for a little while. What and do you then, mean by that? Right. And then it's, oh, it's, it's okay now. It's okay. And it's not okay. Right. So yeah. can you elaborate on that though? What do you mean by, uh, we only want to do things for a little while? You know, we want to, you know, when, when in the years that I've done, um, diversity work, mm-hmm. um, in the school division, many school divisions can't afford to have somebody on staff that's going to do that kind of work. And if they do, now we have a huge school system. Like I said, we, you know, we, 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 we have um, 80 some schools in Virginia Beach and you need more than one person to be able to get in all these schools and deal with all these teachers. So we do a workshop. We do a conference. The workshop may last three days. The conference may last five days. And they spend a lot of money. They will bring people from all over the country who are noted for the work in in the field of diversity and ethnicity and that that kind of thing. Mm And they've written books and they're renowned. And we bring them in to stay here for two days. And people can get pumped up if they're, you know, great speakers or whatever it is that they're delivering, if they're really good at it. Um, And then it's done. Right. And then we go back to what we were doing before. So that's why I'm saying Mm. is that we have what we call courageous conversations. (sighs) Right. Um, for a few days. And then, I mean, it's just like, it's just like church on Sunday. We go to church and we praise the Lord and thank you, Jesus, and all that kind of stuff. And then Monday we go to work and cuss at the person that's sitting next to us because they didn't got over on our side, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, we're, we're not kind at all. Yep. We're, we're not but, staying on the front lines, right? Like your, like your uh, father no, would have said, and, right? And we, we, during the week, 
I can't tell that you are Christian. (laughs) (laughs) Actions. Yeah. Your actions speaking much louder. (laughs) As they do. They always do. And we do the same thing when it comes to to dealing with the issue of race. And and then the other thing is um it's it's interesting that people don't want to talk about race. So when you get into one of these, what we like I said, what we call courageous conversations, and the issue is race. Mm-hmm. And it's somebody that wants to talk about poverty. Right. Or somebody wants to talk about um broken families. Mm-hmm. And somebody wants to talk about the fact that um, unemployment rate is up. Um, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about somebody not having money or somebody not having education or somebody not having both of their parents in the household. I'm not saying that these things aren't true because they are, and they are very important issues. But the issue today is race. That's what we talk about today. Right. We talk about me being black and you being of whatever race you are. Yep. And um, it's just, it's just, mm, the only thing that I can say is that it's the most interesting work I have ever done other than to teach is to do the diversity work and to listen, listen to what people have to say and what their thoughts are and yep. It's a lot of anger, and uh, and when you have the courageous conversation, it's really important to tell your truth. And you notice I didn't say tell the truth; I said tell your truth. Yeah. See, because your truth is not the same as my truth, and it goes back to that same thing that I was just talking about: is that we have to listen with intent to understand. Yep. Because. If I if I'm not trying to understand you, then the conversation is going to be from you know be of no use. Yep. There's this book called Siddhartha. Uh, I don't know if you've read it or not by Herman Hesse. At the end of it, uh, one portion of it, there's this guy who just makes you feel like wow, he completely gets me and understands me without judgment, but every word is absorbed completely. Like he's not waiting for his turn to speak at all. And that's a beautiful thing. And it's, you're right. We're, it's lacking uh, tremendously. So hopefully we can, we can uh, make some changes there. I want to ask one last question. If you had to encapsulate your worldview, the way you see life on the planet, the way you see humanity with all of its ups and downs, if you had to describe it to someone who knew nothing about life on earth, if you had to explain that to a being who had no idea what it is that we humans are, what we represent, how life works here, what would you tell them? That you needed to develop your strengths and to go with your strengths. You need to soar. Um, a lot of us have things that we know how to do but we don't develop them. So that's one thing. And then some of us develop them, whatever the strength may be or talent or whatever it is that you want to call it. We don't necessarily use it 
to help ourselves, to help others. Because anything that you know how to do, like this, even this podcast, mm-hmm. you're wanting to do this with me. You don't, you know, you've never met me, but your interest in me is so helpful to me and inspiring to me. And then all I've been thinking about is how I can share this with my family, with my friends, you know, that kind of thing. And so once you develop those strengths and you're utilizing those strengths and you're utilizing them again, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you, we just need to be interdependent probably more than anything else. I don't, I don't know what word I would use for somebody who doesn't know this world, but we have to depend on each other. Mm-hmm. It's all about us and everybody is encompassed in the us. Yep. Yeah. And that's a, a great way to put it most definitely. And I think maybe if I'm not mistaken, that sounds like you're even just coming down to that just community aspect where that's seems like that's the overarching theme here. When I'm hearing you speak community and understanding one another. Absolutely. Well, I would like to close with, you know, I told you we call ourselves the Harris connection and, um, we use um, an African um, proverb or quote, I am because we are, and since we are, therefore I am. And that's the essence of how we live. I am because we are, and since we are, therefore I am. Pretty phenomenal lady, right? Now, I thought it was necessary that I include the footage, the very raw footage that I captured at Busboys and Poets with Michael Harris II. Uh, he was a lot of fun to talk to, so please enjoy this very, very just raw interview. You can hear a lot of the clinking and talking in the background, clinking of glasses and whatnot, silverware whatever people use at cafes. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. it. It was fun. It was great talking with them. Somebody that's truly free sets others free. And and inside their freedom, uh, if it causes somebody else to be bound while they think they're free, then they're not free at all. They're truly bound. Because your freedom should not enslave me or vice versa uh it's it's like um you should be free to do what it is that you want to do as long as it does not enslave or endanger me someone else and so it's like do what you got to do and do it as much as you want to do it but the moment it takes away somebody else's ability to to climb and and be free and like I said, it's no longer freedom. It's 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 it's, it's slavery, and you're bound. Yeah, most definitely. So, do you think? What, what do you think is a? Do you think that we still have even in this is a we have, this is something we didn't touch on? But do you think that's going on a lot, like uh, in, throughout the world or even in America, where that stuff is still happening? Have you seen that firsthand, or you think you know where where some people are using that? Uh, I, I don't know, trying to live their own life, but maybe they're actually stepping on somebody else's life, you know, taking away their freedom. You, you see that right now, or do you think that we've gotten better? I don't know if to say it is, if it, it's getting better, I, 
I can say it's it's still here. You can see it. I remember when Obama was running for office and they were doing the interviews on the, the presidential candidates. And one of them actually said that the people that make like $60,000, $80,000 a year that pay more taxes than he does and he makes millions, he said it would be better for you and I, people like you and I, to pay more taxes than he would. And before he started going any further, I knew I wasn't going to vote for him because it was like that was going to, what we were saying, that was going to cause me to be his stepping stone gotcha. based upon just what he was saying. So is it still going on? Absolutely. Absolutely. Some of it is hidden. Some of it is in plain view. You just have to be aware enough to be able to either see it with your, with your eyes, with your ears, or your heart. But it's all around you. It's always going to be around you. It's always going to be some type of um, some type of opposition to grow around you. You know, I think that's just a part of life. And so, how do you do it? Like when you when you see that, uh, it's like obvious. Sometimes, like you said, it's hidden. Sometimes, or sometimes it's right there in your face. Uh, how <laughs> do you control like your own inner inner? Uh, I don't know. How do you let it not affect you? Now you just keep on going. Like, like no, I'm not gonna let that like trip me up, I'm going to still live the life I need to live. Um, educating myself. Yeah. I found that um, educating myself has caused me to uh, either hurdle a barrier or, or maneuver around it. I've seen where my own ignorance was the enemy to why I'm, I'm, I'm actually bound myself. So I can't actually say it's always this man's fault, that man's fault, the white man's fault. When I'm ignorant myself, it's it's you know I gotta I gotta take initiative and I gotta take responsibility to say no this is my fault I was ignorant but I'm not ignorant anymore because now that 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 barrier that was in front of me now I'm actually going over them now because I've educated myself um, on certain things. Let's take like I'm at work didn't educate myself on 401k but I'm asking for more money. The 401k pays you more money as soon as you start putting in your first 5%. It'll pay you more money without you working an extra hour. But my ignorance, and that was nobody else's fault, my ignorance didn't, my ignorance uh, uh, withheld me from putting money into my own 401k. So I was holding myself back. That was my own raise right there. So like I said, uh, it's not always somebody else's fault of why we're, you know, being held back. It's, 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 uh, I've learned that, like I said, you got to educate yourself. It's, education is a, is a tool, just like money. Education is, is, is some armor. You know, it's, it's armor. And, it, and you don't have to ball your fists up. You can just uh, ball your mind up and get ready to, you know, punch the situation with your thoughts yeah. versus with your physical fists. And it works. Yeah. And so... I want to talk to you uh, a little bit about what we were talking to you earlier, man, about, because uh, you're touching on all this stuff about, like, really using your mind to figure stuff out, and, all. and we were even talking about how diversity is such a, a good thing. Absolutely. It's a little difficult Absolutely. I'm just paraphrasing what you told me Absolutely. Earlier, right? Um, and you're talking about, so, it sounds like you, you see that, even though you, uh, yourself said that, you know, you haven't been able to travel, but you're going to be traveling and all that. Absolutely. But I think that's cool. Can you, can you just talk a little bit about that, how you've been educating yourself about 
opening up yourself to other cultures and experiences? Well, I mean, I've, I've, I've worked in a lot of places that have been diverse. Uh, but I've also can tell you that the library is free. <laughs> the, lab the library doesn't cost you anything. The mind can travel a lot faster than any airplane. Uh, your ambition can travel a lot faster than any airplane. And so, like I said, when those two meet up, I'm telling you right now, you, you, will, feel, you will feel like you traveled, but, you know, in, 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 in reality, your body hasn't went there yet. But, but your mind and your heart is, you know, my mind and my heart is already in Bolivia. Yeah. I've never been there, but my mind and my heart is. And like I said, um, I've never been on an airplane. Yeah. But like I said, I'll put myself in parts of D.C. where there's so much diversity. I, like I said, I can almost imagine what some other parts of the world feel like. Just by, like I said, you know, you, you, you're around places like, man, you hear people with these different accents and all of that. And so, like I said, it, it, I, I've never been there, but like I said, I'm around enough diversity to, to feel like I have, and, and I know it's like I know where I want to go, and I know where eventually I'll end up. Yeah, yeah definitely, man. No, I, that's super cool. And, but talking about where you want to end up, not only with regards to travel, but where do you want to end up? What's, what's like your major passion? Uh, what's, what is it that Michael ultimately... You, like your legacy, what you want to be known for, you know, um, or what you're going to be, what you're pursuing, your passion in life, you know, helping others. That's what yeah. that's what it's going to end up be. It's going to be some type of philanthropy going on. It's going to be something. And I may not have the Bill Gates Foundation. Nah, but but uh, uh, you know, I, I I've noticed, man, the people that are great, man, they didn't just get to a place. And it was just about them. Yeah. They got to a place, and they took a lot of people with them. Yeah. And I, and they may have not taken those people with them physically, but because they wrote that book, they were able to mentally cause some people to go from one place to another place just by reading the material that they did. They traveled. They went all of these places, and somebody else basically read their blueprint and mentally went those places and called somebody to, to you know, uh, uh, come out of a, uh, you know, a mental block. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of things that we're doing has already been done. Uh, but something unique about us is that we need to do. It's like, uh, I'm, I'm trying to say it so I don't lose, lose the whole thought and what I'm trying to say. It's like our fingerprints. How many people have your fingerprint in this world? Out of four billion, what, four billion people or whatever in the world? How many people? Seven billion. Seven billion people. How many people out of seven? Just you, right? That's just how unique you are to your situation. Somebody else um, may run the same play like the football plays. Thank you, buddy. Some, somebody else may run the same play. But the, 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 when, when, when Barry Sanders ran that same play as the next man, why he look a little bit different than this guy? Because somebody may run the same play. Like we running, all of us running through life, but it's just something slightly different. You said Jeremy? Yep, you got it. There's something slightly different about how Jeremy puts his spin on it because that's what's attached to the blueprint of your fingerprint. You're doing the same thing I'm doing. I'm going through life. But there's something slightly different attached to the blueprint of our fingerprints that's going to be slightly different on how 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 Michael Jordan did it to, to how 
pick your basketball player of choice now is doing it. But at the same time, they're both great, but he looked a slightly different. It's just, that's just how it is. And that's, it's just like it's slightly different. But at the same time, there's greatness attached to, to everything that, you know, you can put your hands to as long as you continue to grow. So me personally, like I said, um, I believe the greatness comes from not just you, but how many people you are able to help along the way. Because like I said, it's, it's, we're not just here for ourselves. We're not, we're not just, we're, I, I'm not here just, if I was to become a millionaire, I'm not, I'm not here just to become a millionaire for myself. It's always attached to someone or something else to, 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 to make something of a bigger picture bigger. Amen to that. I could so, agree more. So yeah. I, I, I was trying to say that in his little words without, without losing the point. No, 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 that's good. <laughs> that's good. No worries, man. Yeah. So, one, I won't keep you, uh, keep on asking a million questions. I tend to do that a lot, but just... At the end of each podcast episode, I like to just kind of uh, get get the person to tell me all right, what how is it that you how would how would you describe life on this planet to let's say if an alien came down and let's say an alien who looked like I don't know uh, e. Scotty Pippen or you know <laughs> yeah or, e. <laughs> or anyway this alien spoke English or whatever we understood that the alien. They're like, hey, we only have uh, five minutes here. Can you tell me what what does life mean here? What how do you see life? Can you describe to me what it actually means to be human on this planet? I would say, listen, go out, take it one day at a time, learn, pay attention to your experiences. You know, um, being human is uh, understanding differences and to know that there are going to be a lot of differences. Um, you know, and if you, want to keep the, if you want to keep the peace, respect others' differences. I mean, you know, that's, 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 that's all I'll say for that for now. Because like I said, uh, it's a lot of... Um, it, 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 you can find yourself bumping heads with a lot of people, and I and I see that only because one person is trying to get the other person to see it from their view only. Right. Yeah. You know, the whole point of this podcast that I'm doing right here is to let's let's try to swerve around and see something from someone else's point of view, so that you're hitting it, you're hitting it right there. Exactly. Uh, um, I can I can see it from your view. I would tell them, let, let people see it from your space view as you teach them and then allow yourself to see it from their view without accepting either one as a truth for one another, but just listening to the story. Like no judgment. No judgment. I, you know, I, hey, I probably will never do that what you're doing, but it seems cool. <laughs> you know, uh, you know it's, it's, it's nothing you can take away from it. Just respect it. Yeah, man. That's, if you respect it, I'm telling you, you'll never bump heads. You'll have differences, and you you may even have uh, uh, agree to disagree uh, conversations. Yeah. But you won't fight. That's good, man. I, well, I appreciate you taking the time. Seriously, to, yeah, I mean, like 
I'll leave a miscellaneous. I'll probably add on a little bit to this too and explain, but for people listening, I mean, I just sat down and, and started talking with Michael. And this, what's this place called? Uh, this is Bus Boys and Poets. Bus Boys and Poets. On uh, 14th and V. 14th and V. Northwest right. DC. Northwest DC. Here we go. That's it. So. And that is it for now, for this episode. Stay tuned for some upcoming changes with the podcast. Um, Just to let you know, I'm going to be hiring a new host. Yes, I'm going to be still, um, this podcast is still going to keep going, but I'm looking for a new host. I'm looking for someone who can take over the reins and do a lot of the promotion, the stuff that I really, I just don't have the time to do at this point in my life. And I have some other creative projects, which I'll throw in here from time to time to let you know about that will be, you know, actually closely related to this podcast. Anyway, if you or you know of anyone who is interested in hosting this show, taking over this voice spot right here, please let me know. Send out an email to jnickel42 at gmail.com. That would be rad. This episode, and actually last week's episode, was produced by my new editor, Dalen Turk. He is phenomenal, really quick, and uh, just does a great job. Uh, This episode, and the last one too, was actually, he did the editing for the interviews, and then I did some, a little bit of post-production editing as well, kind of a combined effort there, but he did the bulk of it, and I love it, because that frees up some time for myself, which is absolutely phenomenal. Anyway, once again, totally appreciate you listening. And I hope wherever you're at, things are equitable. And if not, that you're fighting to get them to be more equitable. And that you have just an amazing sense of peace in this present moment. Cheers.